I know you're Scott Calvin. You know you're Scott Calvin. So let's make this simple. I say name, you say Scott Calvin. Name? Chris Kringle. Name? Santa Claus. Name? Père Noël. Babo Natale. Père's Nicole. Popo Gijo. <laughs> Popo Gijo. Gets me every friggin' time. And welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and Merry Christmas, everybody. This episode, it's just going to be me and you, listener, and we're going to have some holiday cheer. We're going to be talking about the seminal Christmas classic, The Santa Claus. Don't forget the E at the end because it's a legal comedy. <laughs> a legal comedy, yeah, because it's a clause a contract. He puts on the suit. You put on the suit. You become Santa Claus. You f- you you just did the thing. You 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 did the thing, person. Oh man, this has been a yearly movie in my household, and I gotta say. Now that I'm watching it with an eye toward psychology and all of the things that I've talked about over the last several years with so many great, so many great people, I just watch movies with a different lens now. I mean, not to say I don't enjoy them, but I do look for movies now to be on the pod a little bit more, I I will say, a little bit more than what you find on the lists. So that's what I thought of about a week ago when we watched the Santa Claus and the family and I watched the Santa Claus for our, our Christmas movie. One evening, I think it was a Friday night, last Friday night or whatever, uh, we watched the Santa Claus and, you know, the kids have seen it before, but they're a little bit older now. And so they can, you know, they're, they're, they're about Charlie's age in the movie. Uh, and, and so we watched it and I'm like, you know, there is so much stuff. There is so much stuff in this movie that I want to talk about for this podcast. I think we, we're going to have a we're going to have a, uh, a, a bit of a shorter one this time because, you know, I don't want to ruin a Christmas movie, although it is Tim Allen. But I don't really want to ruin the movie. And so, you know, we'll we'll go through it. I've 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 got some I've got some words. I've got some words for for Mr. Tim Allen. I've got some words, you know. All right. So, just the background of this movie, The Santa Claus is 
1994 movie. If you knew that because you watch it every year, listener. 1994. So it came out about the same year as uh, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, starring Tim Allen. This was his baby. This was his vehicle. Directed by John Pasquin, who was a, a kids' movie uh, director back in the day. Uh, written by Leo Benvenuti and Steve Rudnick. Other stars of the movie, which went on to have um, either really great careers or were having really great careers. Judge Reinhold. I'm going to be talking about Judge Reinhold quite a bit in this uh, in this episode. So, you know be waiting for that one wendy Cruson, she plays uh charlie's mom and uh tim allen as scott calvin's ex-wife david crumholtz in one of his earliest roles which is quite cool he did the second one i don't think he came back for the third one um and but he makes a a uh a cameo a, a special guest star cameo in one of the episodes of the current Disney Plus series, The Santa Clauses. Uh, so he comes back for that. And then Peter Boyle has a, has a really sort of <laughs> throwaway role, but like it's awesome that he was in it, which is really cool. And then Eric Lloyd plays Charlie Calvin, which he has been in. He was all in all three movies, which is great. You get to see Charlie grow up, which is excellent. But he only has a special guest starring role in the Santa Clauses. Now, I have not seen the Santa Clauses. So if you're familiar with this and you've decided to watch it, good on you. I don't think I will. Um, I kind of like the nostalgia that I get from the Santa Claus and perhaps the Santa Claus two, I don't really like the Santa Claus three. So those, those, the first two, I have some nostalgia for, um, but, and, and especially the first one, which is what we're talking about today, but I, I you know, I love Martin short. Don't know why Jack Frost was in that movie. That was a, that was a weird, 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 uh, movie. And not well acted. Tim Allen's not really in it all that much. So it was like, let's make some more money kind of movie. And I don't really like the let's make some more money kinds of movies. Uh, before I continue any further, you might hear some congestion in my nose. I might take some sniffles here and there. I'm just coming down from a cold. Weird. Weird. Just like I thought I got out of it. And then I sort of started continuing to wake up with lots and lots of snot so um you might hear that in my voice as we as we go through this all right let's talk the santa claus okay the santa claus again tim allen now i'm gonna start with tim allen as we go through this tim allen is not a good dude in my opinion not a good dude I like this movie. I don't like Tim Allen in it anymore. I love Judge Reinhold. And I love Charlie. And I love the elves. I do not like Scott Calvin. And you're kind of not supposed to like Scott Calvin. And then you sort of are supposed to turn. 
or he he's supposed to turn a leaf, a new leaf, and then you're supposed to be like, oh, he has character growth, and that's great. He kind of doesn't really have character growth, though, and he sort of falls back into the same kind of character in Santa Claus 2. So it sort of undoes what he is supposed to do in his growth. And maybe I'm conflating the two characters and they are two different movies. But Tim Allen is not a good dude. I I like many of the roles that he's had. Of course, I love Buzz Lightyear. Um, and he did a great job with Buzz Lightyear. Maybe not in Toy Story 4 as much as the other ones, but, you know, he has some great characters. I love Galaxy Quest. Um, and he plays a great parody of William Shatner in that movie, and I love it. But Tim Allen is not a good dude, and that colors how I view this movie now. Um, and it's sort of... he. He becomes he becomes a caricature of both Scott Calvin and Tim Allen. And he was riding the high of home improvement into this movie like that vehicle, like he was launched into stardom. Let it be remembered that in the 70s, he was arrested for trying to smuggle cocaine in his drawers um in his uh in his bottoms as they as his undies uh in Michigan and he he served some time in jail had served some time in in prison i believe in state prison uh and that was in the 70s but like get that all behind him he got some early uh early sitcom acting in the 80s and then boom right at the end of the 80s there home improvement early 90s launched launched him into stardom like that was one of the most popular tv sitcoms at the time in the 90s that that was um you know tgif i don't even know if it was on tgif it was definitely an abc show i remember that uh for non uh, American listeners, ABC's American Broadcasting Corporation, and uh, the, you know, the, owned by Disney, so he had a lot of um, a lot of cred with Disney. So this is a Disney movie. Santa Claus is a Disney movie. He ended up being in a Pixar movie, of course, that not Disney at the time, but eventually became Disney not too long after that. So, like, he had a lot of sway with Disney execs, which is why he was, you know, probably given this role. And you're going to wear, you know, you're going to wear a fat suit. You're going to wear um, a big old bushy beard. Do you want to do this? It's kind of up your alley of comedy, Tim. Just jump into it. And I think he did the jerk role really well, considering that he played a jerk dad and husband on... Home improvement. Um, looking back on it, I, I mean, that that's just my that that's just my characterization. Looking back at that that TV show from so long ago, right? The '90s were quite different than they are now. We, it, he just he just wasn't a good dude. Don't get me wrong, though. Richard Carn, Al, love it. I use I don't think so, Tim. That that I don't think so, Tim. Every other day. I, I just use that phrase from Al. I am an Al, so I have to. <laughs> I mean, Richard Karn is my uh is my uh sitcom uh spirit animal. And I always say, I don't think so, Tim. And it's even better when <laughs> It's even better when I'm actually talking to somebody named Tim. Usually it's to my wife Astrid 
Do I say, I don't think so, Tim, too. Or my kids who don't have Tim in any of their names cannot make Tim maybe an anagram. No, I don't think anyone... Uh, well, Ellie does have a T in her name, so I could make it. No, but she doesn't have an M. Can't, yeah, no anagrams. Nobody... I. So I, I, I say this, but I love that movie. Or excuse me, that TV show. I love that TV show. But I don't love Tim Allen. So that's where I'm starting with. I wanted to start with that rant-ish because I think it's important for you listener to recognize where I'm coming from with this analysis of the psych content in the Santa Claus. And okay, I'm going to stop ranting about Tim Allen. (laughs) You wouldn't believe the traffic out here. Yeah, same to you. And that's not very ladylike. I am going to start ranting about Scott Calvin. And the biggest thing that bugs me about this movie, he's really rude to Neil. Neil, that's all he wants. Like, Neil is just trying to be a psychiatrist. And he's just really mean to not only Neil, but the entire field of psychiatry. I am a doctor. No, he's not. He's a psychiatrist. I am not a psychiatrist. I do not have a medical degree, but I stand with my mental health brethren. I'm not a mental health person either, but I stand with them. P.S.Y. people. P.S.Y. That is Psy, and I stand with them. I stand together with my fellow head people. And Scott Calvin is a real jerk. And putting those ideas into Charlie's head about psychiatry is ridiculous. Uh, In the beginning of the movie, Charlie goes, he is a doctor. And Scott goes, he's not a doctor. He's a psychiatrist. And it's like, bro, he has done far more work than you have in, what, toy sales? It's kind of difficult to... Figure out what Scott Calvin's job actually is. He's not hes not a toy manufacturer. He works for a toy maker, but he's not the toy manufacturer, which is kind of uh, an interesting detail that he is not the toy maker at his job in the real world. Santa isn't the toy maker either in the lore, right? It's the elves who make the toys. Santa's just the big boss, and he's the one who uses his magic to deliver all those toys that the elves make. The elves are the true heroes, right? They're the ones who, even in the movie, they're the ones who break him out of jail. So, I mean, like, <laughs> come on now. Uh, Neil has probably, and, and psychiatry, for those who are uninitiated here, psychiatry is one of the longest residency uh, interns and residencies that an, a medical doctor has to do. So you're, you're talking about four years of undergraduate, four years of medical school, so eight years of higher education just on its own. I think a one or maybe even a two-year internship, at least one-year internship um, after medical school. So we're talking one or two more years, so we're at 10 already. Let's just say Neil did a two-year internship. 10. I could be wrong about the internship, so just bear with me there. But like residency is like four plus years. Some other residencies are much less than that, like two or three years. 
and there's so many specialties of medicine that I couldn't possibly tell you what all of they are, all of them are, but it is one of the longest, longest ones. So Neil has been training uh, in psychiatry for 10 plus years, right? He's got to get the background in biology and chemistry and all of that. And then he goes to medical school and then he does his internships and then he does his residency. And then at the probably at that point, he is working in a private practice and he he marries uh, Laura um, and um, Laura already has Charlie from her marriage with Scott Calvin. So she's no longer Laura um, Calvin anymore. She's Laura Miller. Charlie remains Charlie Calvin, which is nice. In addition to in addition to Scott Calvin t- saying that Neil is not a doctor, he's a psychiatrist. There are so many jokes at the expense of psychiatry in this movie. I, I'm not entirely sure where the hate for psychiatry began. Maybe, maybe it was Freud and all of his weirdness. Maybe it was all of the um, focus on women and hysteria and, and things like that around the turn of the 20th century. I, I don't really know where the psychiatry hate came from, probably from a number of sources. But I think now, and maybe even in the 90s, in the 1990s, it wasn't necessarily a terrible profession. Like, you can't call it the worst thing ever, but maybe I'm being a little too idealistic or naive in that. And and okay, fine. Maybe I'm looking at it from the perspective of, uh, let's not, not take a dump all over mental health providers even if they have some uh really odd ideas maybe if maybe if they have odd ideas we should take a dump on them like uh uh leo marvin richard dreyfus's character in uh what about bob he he wasn't a great psychiatrist because he was very selfish but i don't think neil's trying to be selfish at all in this movie i think he's really actually trying to help charlie and his age grapple with belief and not not really knowing how to approach being the stepdad so being on the outside of the parental triangle really being the the far point of the parental triangle and and it's just sort of trying to offer his expertise and then just getting shot down like scott calvin calls him uh, a shrink at one point he calls him a pinhead he outright calls him an idiot wants to fight him when he's santa don't make me beat you up neil that's not santa um and it's just like what what and it, it's hard to know whether or not scott's hatred of or dislike maybe not hatred it's hard to know whether or not he hates neil but his dislike of neil is rooted in the fact that he dislikes psychiatry or psychology or if he just dislikes neil as being the interloper into the parenting situation right and and marrying his uh ex-wife uh because he has some paternalistic ownership of his previous wife like something like that it's hard to know in the movie we don't get any information about what uh where uh, scott calvin's dislike of neil comes from now on top of that 
there is no no real um, separation between psychology and psychiatry in this movie, which is, I think, a great point to make to students who want to use a Christmas film like this. It it um it's tough because in the United States, other than the state of New Mexico, psychologists, people who are are licensed by a state to practice mental health treatment, uh, are are not allowed to prescribe medication. In the state of New Mexico has different rules, but every other state, in uh, as far as my understanding goes, uh, there uh, are these rules. I can't walk around with my PhD and a prescription pad and being like, you get antidepressants and you get antidepressants and here's some Xanax and everyone get some Xanax, you know? I can't do that. Can't walk around doing that. I mean, first of all, I'm not licensed. So I imagine that there's a difference for licensing. But, you know, I just because I have a doctorate, I, I can't run around and do, do that. But Neil has a, an MD and he can prescribe medication. He also appears to engage in uh, psychotherapy. It, it seems like what his main practice is. We see him engage in that kind of uh, psychotherapy with Charlie quite a bit in the movie. And so I guess Scott thinks that they're all the same. Everyone gets the same kind of treatment from anyone professing to be a psychiatrist, psychologist, or what have you. And it's really a bummer because psychotherapy is quite different from uh, the kinds of of roles that psychiatrists take, right? Psychiatrists tend to take a biomedical approach to to treatment, and so they will use biomedical treatments more often than not, which includes psychopharmacology, using psychoactive drugs to, to treat an illness, to treat a mental illness like depression or bipolar disorder where a psychologist does not necessarily have that option, right? A lot of times psychologists will work in tandem with somebody's psychiatrist or somebody's general practitioner doctor uh, to come to an eclectic approach where the psychotherapist uh, does the psychotherapy, the talk therapy, and, and you know has ongoing sessions with the person where the general practitioner or the psychiatrist or both do the biomedical treatment side. You know, they're the ones who are prescribing medication. It's kind of a lot to handle as uh, as a person trying to navigate a health system, especially in the United States when the health system's not great. And it's hard to navigate even if you don't have mental health problems. And so uh, the lumping of the two by Scott Calvin does nobody any favors it puts a bad taste in everyone's mouth about psychiatry, about psychology. And, you know, we're, we're supposed to dislike Scott at the beginning of the movie and then, you know, like him at the end of the movie when he becomes Santa. And he's like, I've embraced my role as Santa Claus. He still is mean about psychology and psychiatry. Like he doesn't he doesn't change that. And that's sort of a uh, an element not only of Tim Allen as the actor, but of uh, Leo Benvenuti and Steve Rudnick and and John Pasquin as far as their dislike and terrible treatment of psychology. It's just this is this is a rant. I'm getting a lot off my chest here. I have felt this way for many, many years about this part of the movie. 
And I'm so glad that I decided to do a solo episode for Christmas, give my colleagues a chance to relax, not have to worry about being on the pod, and just lay into this movie. Again, I do like it. I still do like it. Does it hold up? No. But I've been harboring this anger toward how psychology and psychiatry are presented in this movie. I just, I, I, I had, I was like, I have an outlet now. I have an outlet. And this is an appropriate outlet. <laughs> this is an appropriate outlet. Now, it, the last thing I want to mention about psychiatry in this movie is that bless, bless Eric Lloyd for his supreme child acting in this one because he is perhaps the most level-headed person in that parenting trio and even throws back some of the things that Neil has said to him, which are actually really good things to say to a child trying to manage their beliefs or, or in the case at the end where <laughs> Neil and Laura finally believe Scott is Santa uh, and finally believe their son who has been saying it, you know, ever since uh, he even tells Neil, like, don't worry, man, just let out that childhood joy. It's cool. You are with safe people. Okay. He also helps his own father, Scott, in that year, not really a year, but like 11 months worth of time where, you know, uh, Scott has to get his affairs in order before Thanksgiving. And he's like, come on, dad, you remember, you remember all the fun times we had. That's why all of this stuff is happening to you, because it's real. It's magic and it's real. So you need to recognize that it is real, you know? So I, I just, I, I mean, <laughs> he is the most adult in the movie. He is the most adult in the movie he sort of embodies how the elves feel about the whole thing um and sort of the bridge between the magic world up in the north pole and the real world with three adult children right so um uh, laura neil and and scott calvin i just i think it's i think it's great how they flip that one on its head uh sort of unexpected that Charlie is really the most mature, even if he does believe in Santa Claus, really brings a sense of maturity to Charlie and tells his tells all of his parents, one, grow up. This is real. And two, it's OK to believe in magic and in Santa Claus. The reason we're here is that this is far more serious than a boy believing or not believing in Santa Claus. That's right, because Charlie thinks that this whole thing actually happened. Scott, what was the last thing you and Charlie did before you went to bed Christmas Eve? We shared a bowl of sugar and some shots of brown liquor, played with my shotguns, field-dressed a cat, looked for women. I read him a book. What book? Uh, Hollywood Wives. The night before Christmas, folks, come on. And did you go to the North Pole? Th this is ridiculous. I don't have time for this. Ridiculous or not, Scott. For Charlie, this isn't some dream. It is real. You need to sit down with Charlie. Explain to him you are not Santa Claus.
Which brings me to my next discussion. I am a fan of magical experiences and supernatural ideas. Not that I believe in them myself, but I do enjoy how world building is used to create these magical experiences on film. Like oh, It's perhaps, for me, uh, a, a slightly better experience than reading uh, because I see so many images when I read in my mind. It's hard to keep track of the imagination and the world building that I am doing in my home. Not that it, in my own head, not to say that I dislike reading, but I think film to me, it makes it easier for me to sort of enjoy the art of fiction and the art of literature in a way that um, I don't get with listening to a podcast, you know, a, a, like a true story podcast or, or reading or reading a book or listening to an audiobook. I don't I don't get the same experience uh, that I do with film. And I, I really like how the how this movie, which is part probably part of the reason why I still like this movie, right? It's on on a scale on a on a needle of like versus dislike. I, I lean toward like, um, despite the way that psychiatry and psychology are treated. The, the the fact that Tim Allen is Tim Allen, um, the way that the movie, and the way that the writers and director uh, handle the supernatural elements and trying to ground um the world of santa claus in a in a in a in, in real life not to say that it hasn't been done before miracle on 34th street i think did a really great job of grounding some ideas about santa in the real world um there is less I want to say magic magic in Miracle on 34th Street. It's it's sort of a it's supposed to be a, a more grounded uh, film with just the Santa Claus character. Now, the difference here is that the Santa Claus has to tell us how Santa Claus is created from normal folks in the world. And that's where the clause comes in. Right. And and so. While other movies have shown the magic of Santa in a real world setting, I think this one does a really good job of world building beyond that and leaves some openings for the Santa Claus, too, which I think is great. You need a Mrs. Claus. It's the Mrs. Claus. Uh, now, the way that the movie goes about that is also problematic, but, you know, it's fine. We're not talking about that movie now, so I'm going to ignore it. I still have my thoughts. But, you know. We've got this whole idea, the legality of Santa Claus. You put on the suit, you, you are imbued with the magic of Santa Claus. And everyone around you accepts that you are now Santa Claus because it is one of the easiest things. It's put on the suit, deliver the presents, you're now Santa Claus. I love it. It's, it's so simple. It's, it's so simple. And because Charlie is in a stage of, do I believe, do I not believe, do I believe, do I not believe, he's sort of teeter-tottering on that, it allows him to shed off the stuff that Neil had told him about it and really engage with the belief side, which is fun because we're watch we tend to watch these as kids, or at least you're, you're my age, you, you watch this as a kid or maybe even a slightly older kid. 
maybe it doesn't hit as as well as as an adult in the 90s but to me it feels like we get to be charlie we get to just be like yeah flying santa's reindeer all of that stuff put on the suit why is it so easy for him to fall down the roof ignore that he a new person this is how a new person becomes santa claus they do eventually die this is how a new person becomes santa claus it's it's ridiculous it's awesome and for the year that Scott is going through all of these metamorphoses, which I got to say, they should have. They, you can make this movie a psychological thriller. You could make this movie a psych. You can recut this movie with different music underneath and make it a psychological thriller. When he closes the the when Scott Calvin closes his mirror and he sees his face full of white hair and he's like, ah. You can put some creepy music under that and, oh, man, change the lighting a little bit. Bam. It is a psychological thriller. He goes through 11 months of these changes and he is just like something. Things are changing and he doesn't want to believe it, but he has to because there's things that are changing. He's starting to love sweets. He lies about um, what's going on. And, you know, Charlie gets uh, uh, Charlie gets sort of taken away from him uh, because the Millers ask for full custody. And it's just it's a lot of stuff happening within 11 months. And and um, the way they play the magic when he shaves and then his beard pops up, it's it's great. But it could for a Disney movie. I get it. Scott plays like he is uh, like it's strange bewilderment when in actuality, if this was something that was like re real and supernatural, this a person would be going out of their mind. And Neil, as a psychiatrist, would likely be like, this person needs to be evaluated for psychotic disorder. Like this is psychosis through and through. Even in the '90s, schizophrenia was a big deal, and people would be like, "This this person thinks they're Santa Claus. This needs evaluation. He probably needs to be um, hospitalized for fear that he might harm somebody with his ideas about reindeer or something like that." <laughs> but you know, it's a Disney movie. So they play it. They play it off like it's hilarious. The person's going through changes. <laughs> going through changes. Oh, man. Maybe it was an allegory for uh, a midlife crisis. I don't know. Maybe it is all in Scott Calvin's head. Hmm. Maybe we could do. Maybe we could. But maybe there is treatment uh, of, of this movie, an analysis of this movie where you just take everything away you strip everything away and just see if you can characterize it as a man going through a midlife crisis you know he's just got recently divorced his um while his job is going while his job is going great he falls into a depression and starts eating a lot of sweets um and uh it, his kid gets taken away because of this spiraling down. He thinks he's he thinks he's Santa Claus. Oh, that's a psych thriller right there. Hmm. I'll have to call Tim Allen about this one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. The 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 two things that I want to focus on with these beliefs is one, Charlie. 
Charlie engages throughout the movie in what is called belief perseverance, uh, even in spite of what others are saying. Hey, your dad's not Santa Claus. Don't don't do that. You know, you had a wild and vivid, maybe lucid dream on Christmas Eve one year. And now this year, you need to stop talking about it. Like, you really need to stop talking about it. And maybe your dad is a in uh, an influence on you. And we just we just don't know what you two were talking about while um, you're with him. So, you know, you know, you don't get to you don't get to see him anymore. And Charlie's just like, no, I did this. I did this. I am not going to update my beliefs. And everything he sees that is happening with Scott Calvin, his dad, every time he sees them, he's like, well, you're getting bigger. You're getting whiter hair. You are becoming kinder. Pe kids are sitting on your lap to ask for presents. Like there is evidence upon evidence that... Scott Calvin is becoming Santa Claus. And so Charlie remains steadfast in his belief, regardless of what other people say, regardless of what other people say. Now, belief perseverance is generally used in a negative sense, but it just means that any that you decide to keep a belief uh, in spite of evidence to the contrary. That's that's all belief perseverance is. And that's what Charlie is showing in this movie. Belief perseverance. And he doesn't give it up. At no point does he give it up. And the final thing that he does to get his dad to recognize you are Santa friggin' Claus and it's Thanksgiving and you got to go up to the North Pole now is his, he's the only one who perseveres in this belief. The only one who considers it to be so serious that he cannot change his mind. He, re he remains the only constant person. Everyone else changes their beliefs. Scott Calvin changes his beliefs. Laura changes her beliefs in when she recognizes um, uh, something that Scott tells her from her childhood. Um, recognizes that uh, Neil recognizes that he becomes Santa Claus, and, and he was like, "Wait, what?" You know, and he eventually gets his wiener uh, whistle from Oscar Mayer. You know, these these kinds of things. He eventually gets they all of them eventually get the idea. We don't see any anyone else we don't see anyone else in the in the movie change their beliefs but those people change their beliefs charlie is the only one who does not your parents thought i'd never amount to anything <laughs> oh wait and don't go yet i have something for you I... it's santa scott neil Santa? It's okay, Neil. Here. It's, um, well, it's, it's my Christmas present for you. It's the, um, it's the custody papers. And I want you to come and see Charlie as often as you can. You can count on it. Thanks, Laura. Merry Christmas. What's all this boo-hooing going on here? Hey, how are you doing? It's nothing, Bernard. I'm just saying goodbye to Charlie. Well, goodbye. Charlie, you still got the glass ball, right? Yeah. Well, all you got to do is shake it whenever you want to see your dad. Really? He can come back to see you anytime, day or night. Hey, 
Have I ever steered you wrong? Nice sweater. Hey, did we make this? Laura? He's sucking us into his delusions. Look at the elaborate measures he's taken. Neil, relax. I'll explain it to you later. Where'd he go? Which I think is refreshing and especially important for children like mine who still believe in Santa. And we're trying to keep that belief alive. They wrote letters to Santa. They get presents from Santa because we want to, you know, we want to keep them in this as long as possible. And um, I'll tell you a quick story, listener. I almost ruined it for my younger sister. We have 11 year uh, age gap. And one year I mentioned something that my mom got her that was going to be from Santa because that's what she asked Santa for. I didn't live with them at the time. But she was like, I don't know, eight or nine, something like that. So I was already an adult and clearly did not believe in Santa Claus anymore. And um, I, I mentioned it around her and I was like, oh, wait, oh, shoot. And I sort of screw the pooch. Luckily, my sister tells me that she was already thinking that things were weird and she was really only keeping the belief to make her to make our parents feel better, which <laughs> kind of funny. But um, I, I sort of want to keep the magic alive for for my kids. And I think the movie that does a really good job of it's kind of, kind of like what Elf does does a really good job of keeping the kid in it doesn't give up their belief remains perseverant in their belief you know it's 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 important um for a movie like this for a movie like Miracle on 34th Street for a movie like uh um Klaus which is a, a newer one which is an amazing uh, lore movie about how letters to the North Pole uh, work in a guy just a big dude named Klaus <laughs> big big dude in Norway or or some Scandinavian country just named Klaus uh, who receives letters from all over the world uh, and sort of sort of a backstory to where Santa Claus came from the Klaus and that it's it, these kinds of movies are really where it's at. I love them. I love, love, love them. Well, I don't know, Scott. You're you're as healthy as a horse. Yeah. Clydesdale. Okay, look, so what? You put on a little weight. A little weight? Does this look like a little weight to you? Weight can fluctuate from year to year. Fluctuate? You make it sound like I'm retaining water. I've gained 45 pounds in a week. Okay. The last thing I wanted to talk about before I leave you all with some Christmas cheer. Oh boy. On a recent episode, Dr. Jordan Waggy and I talked about the fat phobia surrounding Bridget Jones's diary. Now, I wanted to bring that conversation back here with a quick rundown of all of the fat phobic uh, dialogue and quote unquote jokes that are made um, at the expense of uh, fat people and um, Santa Claus being a fat person in the lore specifically, right? So again, I mentioned that Tim Allen's not a great person and he 
generally speaking, makes jokes at a lot of people's expenses. Many people who are different from him, he makes jokes about all of them. If you want to go find out more, you can go find his Twitter and you will find joke upon joke of people who uh, are, are not like him. And, and that's the kind of that's the kind of writing that I think Benvenuti and Rudrick, or excuse me, Rudnick um, did on this movie. Right. Like there I, I, I probably spotted this year having that idea in my head because, you know, I just talked to Jordan about this. Uh, I, I would say maybe every five minutes or so there was a joke about uh, at the expense of fat people. Like the fat phobia is really strong in this movie. And there are there are two solid scenes that I want to point out here. Um, and then I'll mention a few other ones. The first scene is when Scott is going through the changes um, during this year. And, and uh, he, he wakes up and he's like, oh, uh, you know, I, I got a little bigger. He doesn't he doesn't say anything. This is all just like um, uh, dialogue free acting. You know, he, he holds on to his stomach and he jiggles it around and he, he can't wear any of his suits or anything like that because they're all tailored for a smaller person. And so he's late to his meeting at his job. Calvin. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the dry cleaner in my neighborhood went up in smoke, some big chemical fire, all my clothes, poof, gone. Oh my God, you, you wait. What happened? Bee sting. Evidently, I'm allergic. Almost killed me. But the guy at the emergency room says the swelling will go down. I hope. So, did I miss anything? No, we were uh, just about to order lunch. Great! I'm starving. I'll have a salad and iced tea and dressing on the side. Uh, pasta and tomatoes uh, and very light on the oil. Can you do that? And I'll have a Caesar, no dressing. And one of those homemade cookies, the warm chocolate chip, no nuts. And uh, a little slice of cheesecake. Uh, creme brulee and um, uh, hot fudge sundae. Extra hot fudge. On the side. Anything to drink? <sighs> Ice cold milk. Stung by a bee, Scott? A big bee. And um, they're all surprised to see him dressed in sweats. Uh, and his sweats are, his sweatshirt and his sweatpants are, are you know, very tight on his body and he he kind of just tries to play it off but everyone's just like really shocked really shocked right and they're and they they play this role of and especially peter doyle uh peter boyle excuse me plays this like we're worried about you bullshit and i really don't like it because it's just like (gasps) and then it gets really bad when he ordered when they're ordering like oh we're just ordering lunch he's like oh great and and he decides to order all of the sweets because his sweet tooth is santa has a sweet tooth right cookies and and milk uh so he's getting the sweet tooth uh activated and he grabs all of the no mains nothing he just wants all the dessert with extra chocolate all that stuff 
and he's he's the last one to finish eating and everyone's just looking at him in disgust and he goes you know they they're looking at him and he goes oh it was a bee sting i got stung by a bee and um his partner uh from the beginning of the movie who, where they successfully sold a doll or whatever with with uh with this woman is like are you sure it was a bee sting and he's like it was a really big bee right so he's trying to play off his size as an allergic reaction to getting stung by a bee, right? Uh, an allergic uh, anaphylactic reason. It made him balloon out, whatever. And they're incredulous because he's eating all these sweets. And it's like, who cares what he's eating, y'all? And no, why are you worried about him? Why are you worried about him? I think his doctor, which is a follow-up scene, I think his doctor does a, a, a good job of of sort of drawing the line it's like oh you just put on a little weight and he and and you know tim allen grabs his fat suit and goes does this look like a little weight to you and is just really mad and upset about it right this goes back to my treatment of psychological thrillers just random stuff happening to him right so <sighs> that one's probably the worst of the bunch the second the second scene that I want to uh, highlight is uh, when he gets caught by the police. So he's at uh, Laura Neal's house delivering presents for Laura Neal and, and Charlie. And um, they know that he's there. And so they converge on him. And he turns around and he goes, huh. oh, officers, good evening. And, and uh, one of them says, not for you, fat man. And he goes, fat man, that wasn't very nice. And they arrest him. And uh, it's just like, wait, whoa, whoa. There's no reason to say that about him. Come on now. Don't be like that, guys. Ridiculous. A couple of other instances of fat phobia in the movie. Um, the little girl in the beginning comments that, uh, Scott Calvin, as he put on the suit, uh, which Scott Calvin said, like, look at the size of these things, right? He's got giant pants, this giant coat that he has to wear the first night that he puts on the pant in suit. Um, the little girl comments that she's not as big as he should be. And then he drinks some milk and he's like, I'm lactose intolerant. And later in the movie, when he d sees her again, she's like, I got you soy milk. And he's like, oh, that milk tastes gross. It's just, it's really odd. It's really odd. Play for laughs. The lines play for laughs every single time. Um, and it's just like, I don't really want to laugh at that anymore. Um, it's not. It's not good because even though, yes, we have the stereotype of Santa Claus being a fat and jolly man as if, you know, fat people are jolly and or jolly people are fat, like this weird combination of a weird combination of of adjectives to describe. It's kind of it. It, it stings of. It's just another way to make heavier people feel bad about themselves that we are making we are we are making a situation where we can point and laugh at somebody who is large. And that's not great. I don't like that at all. So, 
that that is the 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 big one. This is the second one, the second big one that I'm like I'm viewing it this year with the guys of the podcast in my mind. Like I wanted to do a Christmas episode. I'm like, oh my god, there's so much fat phobia in here. Oh boy. Um, let's let's take a step back from these these fat jokes, yeah. And I'm I'm sure I am sure the Santa Claus two has just as many, just as many because. He becomes smaller Tim Allen when he's trying to court Charlie's teacher. Definitely. Definitely. Fat phobia in all of this. We can stop doing that. I mean, we all get it, right? Santa Claus is supposed to be a larger dude. He's supposed to be, oh, 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 oh I have big belly laughs. <laughs> so we, we can stop saying things about his weight, I suppose. You know, just make him some cookies. He loves the sweet stuff. Just make him some cookies. We don't need to say anything about his size anymore. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I just want to point out before I go that um, Santa Claus needs his business practices checked. He really does. He's backed by the coal industry. He uses child labor, even though the elves aren't really children. They look like children. That's enough for me. Um, what's the structure of the North Pole manufacturing? Is it, is it like, you know, does he run like a dictatorship like Schindler in Schindler's List? Right. But he gives his own kids special treatment. I don't know. His business practices need to be reviewed. Where's the FTC? Where's the uh, where's the FCC? Where's the uh, SEC? All the other acronyms. Right. The Bureau of Labor, whatever. He needs to be checked. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. A Happy New Year, too. The next episode will be out early next year. And we are looking forward to another calendar year running through the pod. It's going to be great. I hope you join us for that. Make sure you are smashing that like button, smashing that sharing button, taking a look at the merch options. I do plan on expanding the merch options here coming in the next year. That's a goal for me. So if you want to support the channel, support the channel, <laughs> that's some YouTube there. If you want to support the podcast, consider buying some merchandise. It's great. Comfy clothes. I love my three-quarter length shirts. I love my sweatshirt. It is so comfy. And it the the drawstrings stay in because they are wrapped. Whoo, yes. So check out our merch store. If you want to uh, buy me a cup of coffee, take a look at my PayPal for the pod and drop a couple of dollars in there. Thank you so much for listening this calendar year. I appreciate it. Until the next episode. Thanks for listening.